Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians 6, and we're going to continue with uh, parenting uh, help tonight, and I want to do that as often as we can, and then I want to get into some of the technical aspects of parenting. And one of the blessings of having these little ones born is uh, that there's going to need to be more help for parents. And then we'll, we're even going to help grandparents and um, some different other things as well. Try to make it as practical as we can. Uh, I recognize a lot of what I've given has, have been more foundational and theoretical, but I do want to get to practical, and I promise you we will do that. Um, I, I, I want it to be a help. I believe the Bible is help. And in order for it to be practical, excuse me, in order for it to be profitable, we have to find the practicality in it. And God has given to us a book that is extremely practical. Galatians chapter number six. Let me ask you a question. We've had our theme and emphasis this year. And I hope it's not an emphasis for the year. I hope it's an emphasis of our life. And that is experiencing God. How is your experiencing of God? Let me ask it another way. How is your revival? How can a church experience God and experience the reality of who He is, but then after some period of time relapse? How can an individual experience God then relapse and go back to living with the wrong focus? Going back to status quo, going back to drifting, going back to settling with the ease of of yielding to sin, how can that happen? Well, one of the reasons is, is that a person, I believe that God's people, good people, people that are here tonight versus opting out of coming, I'm talking about those who have decided to follow Jesus. One reason is that good people do get tired in doing good, perhaps more than bad people get tired in doing bad. Good people do get tired in doing good. I'm not saying that you get tired of doing good, but you can get tired in the good that you're doing. God's people get tired. Do you hear the difference? I'm not talking about getting tired of truth and getting tired of serving, but getting tired in serving. Do you know Jesus got tired? In doing good, and all that he did was good. John chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Jesus being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well. And he didn't give up and miss ministry. He led the woman there at the well to the Lord who brought a city to the Lord, but he was tired. And I find often that people struggle with the dilemma when they get tired. They, they, they lose the steam of emotion and feeling. They can't feel their way through and, and it throws them off. Well, we're not to feel our way through in the first place. I never felt that I had eternal life. I faithed it because he said so when I put my faith and trust in him. I have it not based upon how I feel. Now, I'm thankful when the feelings get there, but I'm thankful that there's truth even when the feelings are not there. In chapters 1 through 4 of Galatians, Paul defends and explains the truth of the gospel that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, independent of any good works. 
that we perform. Then in chapters 5 and 6, he begins to talk about grace. It's not a license to do our own thing. It is the means, God's grace is the means by which we live for God in this day and age. Chapter 5, Paul teaches us why we should live for God. But chapter 6, he teaches us some practical aspects as to how to live for God. In verse 7 and 9, we've looked at this before. We went through the book of Galatians not long ago. But I want to draw our attention here as we focus on parents. And everyone can benefit from these. Galatians 6, verse 7 through 9. Let's stand together and let's read these very familiar verses. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. See, Paul chooses to motivate the people of God to live for God by using an, an agricultural allegory. And here the central phrase that I want to focus our attention to is we shall reap. Verse 9. See that? For in due season we shall reap. We should not grow weary from doing good because we shall reap. Now, he says in due season. Due season is when we shall reap. And so this evening, I'd like for us to look at a promise. A promise to the weary parent. A promise to the weary parent. Here's the promise to the weary parent. Hold on. Harvest is coming. Harvest is coming. The weight may seem unbearable, but harvest is coming. The grass may be greener on the other side of the fence, but harvest is coming. The land may seem barren. The seed may seem powerless. The weeds may seem unstoppable, but harvest is coming. Sowing in the morning, sowing seeds of kindness, Sowing in the noontide and in the dewy eve, waiting for the harvest and the time of reaping, when we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. So what should you do in the meantime? Well, that's what Paul wants to emphasize for us as we look at a promise for weary parents. What to do in the meantime, because harvest is coming. Remember Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. It's a process. It's a promise. It's a process, but it's a promise. If we train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Harvest is coming. But what do we do in the meantime? Thank you. Please be seated. We don't have... the. The points on the screen, so listen, I'll try to articulate it well. Number one, what do we do in the meantime as we hang on to this promise that harvest is coming? What do we do in the meantime? Number one, keep on doing good. Keep 
on doing good. Keep on doing right. Verse 7 is the word of warning. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. See, in reality, you determine your tomorrow by how you live today. You are setting yourself up tomorrow by what you're doing today. One way to find the will of God tomorrow is to be in the will of God today. You are what you're becoming. You reap what you sow. Verse 7 is a word of warning. Verse 8 is a word to the worker. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. See, the emphasis of verse 7 is on the divine sovereignty of God. Don't be deceived. God is not fooled. He's not mocked. He's not hoodwinked. The emphasis of verse 8 is on human responsibility. Sowing. It is not the reapers who decide what the harvest will be like, but it's the one who sows. When you are reaping, you don't have any say-so over what you reap, but you do in the sowing time. You have no control over the harvest after you plant, but you can control the harvest by what you plant. You can plant sinful things that will bring a crop of corruption. And a future of despair. Or you can plant spiritual seeds that will bring a spiritual harvest and an eternal bounty. What is the determining factor as to whether what you harvest is positive or negative? Well, it's what you are sowing. It's what you are sowing. In a positive sense, Mark 4 and verse 20, And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, some an hundredfold. That's the positive. The negative aspect, how do you reap negatively? How do you harvest negative things? James 1 and verse 15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and when sin is finished, it always brings forth death. You don't have a control over the death, the separation from God. The separation from God in eternity through being lost in your lost nature. But even as a Christian, James is speaking to believers, anytime you yield to lust, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it always results in a separation from God, always. In other words, there will always be results to your sowing. It's the law of God. You cannot change it, nor can you get around it. You can put this down. Whatever you sow, regardless of what it is, you will reap it. You will. You tolerate a bad attitude, you'll reap that. You tolerate being disgruntled, you will reap. And you'll always reap more than you sowed. That's why it's so very important in parenting that what we don't want down the road, we look at now. What are we tending to now? That's why we don't, we, we don't try to, as I mentioned this morning, the church being a carbon copy of the world, we, we don't, we're not imitating the things of the world and putting just a good spin to it. We're, we're not wanting the, listen, God's criteria for fellowship with him is purity. The psalmist said, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? 
we're talking about experiencing God. Who is it that has access to God and stands before him? The psalmist said, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. How much purity does God demand? A hundred percent. See, the wedding altar is not the place to try to make it to in which you have found yourself successful in being 100% pure in body only. And many are not making it to the wedding altar pure in body. But we, in mimicking the world, have allowed practices of worldliness into our life, and, and we've Christianized them. But listen, flesh is flesh. Consecrated flesh is still flesh. And when a person gets to the wedding altar, it should not be enough. Well, I didn't sleep with anybody else before I got to the wedding altar. It should be whose mind, who, whose mind did you take from somebody else? Who had your mind? Who had your heart? Who had your emotions? When you say, I do, and the other one says, I do, do you give to this woman? Do you give to this man? How much are you going to give them? If you gave your heart to somebody else and to somebody else there because you had a boyfriend here and a, and a we're not boyfriend, he's just my friend, but he's my best friend and only friend and, and we're very close and a flirting friend. Listen, when you get to the wedding altar, you can't say I'm giving this person all of me because you gave some of it away to your cute little boyfriend. See, in the public schools, they have what is known as prom. In Christian schools, they have something that is prom. They just call it different. You still get dressed up. You still get a date. And I can't understand that, especially when there are men who they're more protective of their hunting dogs than they are of their daughters. Get some guy who can't even comb his hair. And he puts on a tuxedo and he's going to walk the girl on the court and, and hopefully she'll get crowned homecoming queen. What is a homecoming queen? Why don't she strive to be Proverbs 31 lady? And God gives out the crown for that one. See, that's why we don't have boyfriend, girlfriend. That's why we don't date. You say, where did you come from? Well, no, where, did, where did dating come from? Where did dating come from? You, you've, some of you have been around long enough. You've seen the movies and, um, where they talked about, used the word courting. You know, that was, that was all coming from Bible concepts. Where no one thought in, in, in society in general that, that they were to take... No man was going to take another man's daughter without permission. I'm, I'm talking about unsaved world heading to hell. Let me go at it this way. Our divorce rate is a whole lot higher now than what it was 100 years ago. But so is dating. 
and not just dating, but it's a whole lot more than that in an accepted society. So that's why we don't have, in case you wonder, why we don't have activities that in which we talk about, make sure you bring your boyfriend, girlfriend. You know what, how you can tell whether or not you should have a boyfriend or girlfriend, whether or not you're ready to get married now. If you're not ready to get married now, you have no business giving them your heart. And parents, if you don't wake up, you're going to reap what you sow. I can't tell you the number of Christian schools, Brother Autry, the number of Christian schools where I would hear pastors talk about the number of girls who are pregnant. And we could tell you the number of pastors' daughters. Why? Because you reap what you sow. When our kids were little, and actually when Priscilla was a lot younger, we would watch some of the Hallmark at Christmas. Now she's too discerning. There is not a Hallmark that I know of that exists that's not about romance. And the problem with the romance is it's not God's way. There's nothing clean about it. There's nothing faith-filled about it. And sometimes people have the idea, well, how are you going to find the right one to marry unless you experiment? Well, that's like kissing the frog to find the prince. You might find your prince by kissing a frog, but you're going to kiss a lot of frogs in the meantime. Let me ask you a question. If you can trust God with your soul, why can't you trust him to find the right one, the right time, and the right way? It's called faith. I can tell, I need to preach on this. But we're not going to have dating. We're not going to have boyfriend, girlfriend here. We're not going to do it. It's, it's just, it's not going to happen. You say, well, my kids are. They're not going to do it here. It won't happen. You do whatever you want to do at your home, but you, you will pay a steep price for, for going around and undermining the very thing that may save your kid, especially if you have a girl. If there are girls in your home... Sir, it is not your mama's responsibility to win their heart. It's yours, Dad. And if you've got drama with your girls, I want to tell you where it comes from. It comes from Dad. If you have emotional girls, it comes from their dad. No, their mamas might be like that, but Dad allows it. Dad creates that. Stop it. Why? Because you're going to reap what you sow. They turn on the tears. That's called manipulation. Don't look at the tears. Close your eyes if you have to. Don't listen to that. It's your response. It's your re- You are called dad. You are the one responsible. You're the one who will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and answer. Lot's wife turned back and became a pillar of and we say, shame Lot's wife, you knew better. God said, don't you do it, and you did it. Shame. But I have to say, shame on Lot. She only followed her husband. And while Lot got her out of Sodom, he couldn't get Sodom out of her. Why? Because that's what he tolerated. That's what he allowed. Oh, if I take a stand, preacher, you don't know what it'll be like in my home. I'm going to tell you, if you can't lead in your home, you don't have much of a home. You might have a house where you're dwelling, but you don't have a home that is holy and happy that is going to be blessed of God. I'm saying you're going to reap what you sow. 
But here's the problem with so many dads and parents when it comes to this. They're tired. Just get tired of the fighting. Don't get weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. There is a promise to weary parents that Paul is wanting us to see. Notice in verse number 9, notice the word weary, and let us not be weary in well-doing. This verse assumes the Christian life will be characterized by doing good. I'm preaching to people tonight who have a heart to do good or you wouldn't be here. Now the phrase doing good, it encompasses all the commands in chapter 5 and 6. I won't go through all of those, but, but he's talking about a lot of things. He's given them a lot, and he says, do good, keep at it, but don't get weary. One Puritan writer said, many Christians are like children. They would sow and reap the same day. That's the way we want it. That's why I've said before, I think it's help, helpful if you can't envision it to maybe try taking a plant, plant the seed, Watch it grow and, and allow God to use that in your mind to, to tell us that just because I gave a soft answer, I did the right thing today, doesn't mean I may reap it tonight. It takes time. And so verse 9, he confronts this childish tendency with the command, don't get weary in well-doing. The verse does not command us to pretend we're bionic Christians if Jesus grew weary, we too are going to get weary, even more so. Paul grew weary. He says, we, for let us, here he's, he's including him, let us not be weary, verse 9. One preacher wrote, humans have a sad capacity for getting tired of wonderful things. Va vacationers get tired of sunsets. Millionaires get tired of money. Kids get tired of toys. And Christians get tired in doing good. Even godly committed people grow weary sometimes. So how do we reconcile the fact that Paul said don't get weary when weariness is inevitable? Well, the text says let us not be weary in well-doing. But this verse does not command us to not grow weary while we're doing good because it's inevitable. The verse commands us not to grow weary of doing what is good. So that's why I say keep doing good. Keep on. Keep pressing forward. Keep striving. Keep doing right. Keep doing good. Keep on doing good. I've told this before, but years ago, remember during a Monday night football game between the Chicago Bears and the New York Giants, one of the announcers observed that Walter Payton, the Bears Hall of Fame running back, had accumulated over nine miles in total career rushing yardage. The other commentator responded to that incredible statistic. He said, yeah, and that's with someone knocking him down every 4.6 yards. See, if you want to go to the distance when life knocks you down, you've got to get up, not give up. So number one, keep on doing the right thing. Keep on doing good. Number two, know that the harvest is coming in due season. Know that harvest is coming in due season. Know that the harvest is coming 
in due season. Know that it will be worth it all. It's been said that there are over 3,000 promises in the Bible. The word promise or promises occurs about 50 times. So think of it this way. The Bible contains over 3,000 promises waiting to be claimed by faith. So my question to you is this. Are you claiming the promises of God? Are you standing on the promises so that you cannot fall? What was the first Bible promise? It's found in Genesis 3 and verse number 15 in which God promises a Messiah, so that we can have a way back to Him. And see, God's always looking out for our best interests. Not necessarily what interests us, but our best interests. The last promise in the Bible is found in Revelation 22 and verse 3. The first promise is Genesis 3.15. The last promise is Revelation 22 and verse 3. Evangelist D.L. Moody said, let a man feed for a month on the promises of God and he will not talk about poor, how poor he is. He went on to say, if you would spend a month feeding on the promises of God, you wouldn't be going about complaining how poor you are. You would lift up your head and proclaim the riches of his grace because you couldn't help but doing so. C.H. Spurgeon would say, many people are born crying. Live complaining and die disappointed. They chew the bitter pill which they would not even know to be bitter if they had the sense to swallow it whole in a cup of patience and water. My question again, it would be how can you be born crying, live complaining and die disappointed when you have so many beautiful promises of God to stand on, all of which are waiting to be claimed by faith. Keep on doing good and know that the harvest is coming in due season. Now, God is not like the babysitter. When the parents returned home, they were pleasantly surprised to find that the kids were fast asleep. The place was clean. And when the sitter had been paid, she just, as she was walking out the door, she turned to the parents and said, I almost forgot to tell you, I promised Sammy and his sister, that if they would stay in bed, you'd give them a pony in the morning, just letting you know. I'm telling you, God doesn't work that way. He doesn't operate that way. He makes promises that he can actually back up. Spurgeon said, take every word he says and believe it. Hang your soul upon it, knowing it must be true, since the Christ that wrote it said it. See, in agriculture, you can chart the coming of the harvest. In spiritual agriculture, you cannot chart the coming of the harvest, but you can know that the harvest does not happen in a hurry, but it will happen. See, it takes time to develop a Christ-like character. It takes time to grow a healthy church. It takes time to build a mature relationship. It takes time to raise responsible children. It takes time to establish a productive career. It takes time to reach worthwhile goals. It takes time to effect positive change. We live in a society that are driven by two passions. I want it all and I want it now. But planted seed does not bear fruit overnight. In God's infinite wisdom, he has set up a season of the soul. And as a result, the harvest may not come in a hurry. In fact, you may not see any signs of a positive harvest. But if you've been sowing 
positively based upon the promises of God. You have been cooperating with God. You have followed the process of training up your child in the way you should go. You've been loving. You've been consistent and disciplined. Well, you can know. You can know based upon the authority of the word of God, you will reap in due season. It may not even come to you in your life, but it will come. Waiting time on God is never a wasted time. You're not in God's waiting room for nothing. Believe and know the harvest is coming in due season. There's a lot of which I I feel like I'm doing and investing in our children that I may never see in my lifetime. That doesn't bother me. I'm not doing it for what I get out of it. I'm doing it because it's right for them, because of what they will have to face. It is my responsibility before God to bring them up the way that he would want them to be brought up. He says in due, due season, due. You know that that idea, due, look at it there in verse number uh, nine, and let us not be weary in well-doing for in due, D-U-E. Do you know that that's the idea that, There is a harvest time that God has tailored just for you. In due season. In a season which is appropriate, which in its character is appropriate for you. It is used to speak of something individual, private, peculiar, separate, unique. In other words, God is saying he's given you your own separate season to reap your harvest. God's given you your own private period to reap your harvest. You do not have to be jealous, insecure, bitter because someone else receives a blessing, reaches a milestone, reaps a harvest, has an easier time maybe with their children. They they don't have the same struggle. You don't have to do any of that. You can simply look to the promises of God for your situation. Look to your heavenly father as he has been patient and loving and consistent with you. You can trust the process that if you train up your child in the way he should go, that you can keep doing good that you can also take it to the bank. There is a due season. There is a harvest time. The word season there is that indicating your harvest time is under God's sovereign watch. It's under Him. And God's infinite wisdom, God too has set up a season for the soul. But listen again, waiting time on God is not wasted time. You're never in God's waiting room. By accident. Whenever God decides to move, it's always the right time. I repeat, when God is ready to move and decides to move, it's always the right time. Let me give you a third one. After, and these are how to, what do we do until the reaping takes place? What do we do? Well, keep doing good. Keep doing good. Know that the harvest is coming in due season number two. Keep doing good. Know that harvest is coming in due season number three. Just determine you're not going to give up. Don't give up. Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If we don't quit. The exhortation here is let us not grow weary of doing good. The reason is that we should not grow weary of doing good is that we have a wonderful promise. In due season, we shall reap. But the condition is you can't give up. 
You can't give up. The term faint not means to relax. Don't get lax in parenting on purpose. Don't get lax. It pictures a worker in the field who loosens his belt out of fatigue or frustration. And when the term is used in the passive voice as it is here, it means to faint, to give up, to lose heart. Don't give up. Don't give in. All of us are tempted to grow weary of doing good. All of us will be tempted to give up. All of us will be tempted to succumb to life's quitting points. All of us in some way, shape, or form. But don't miss the magnitude of this conditional statement. There's only one thing that can stop you from reaping the harvest in due season with your children. You can only miss the harvest if you relax in parenting on purpose. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't allow insecurity to set in. Don't be inconsistent. Stay humble. Stay hungry. Stay holy. Let God use you. Satanic attacks cannot stop me from reaping my harvest with my children. Heavy burdens cannot stop me from reaping my harvest with my children. Difficult circumstances cannot stop me from reaping the harvest with my children. No, the only thing that can stop me from reaping the harvest is if I lose heart, give up, relax a little bit or just walk away. Inadequate resources cannot stop me from reaping my harvest with my children. Hostile people cannot stop me from reaping my harvest with my children. Vicious lies cannot stop me from reaping my harvest with my children. Not even personal failure can stop me from reaping my harvest. The only thing that can stop me from reaping the harvest that if we train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it as if we give up. Don't lose heart. If you stay and stand in the will of God, nothing can stop you from reaping God's harvest. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land. A weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. I've mentioned gentle Jim Corbett before, who is an Irish-American heavyweight boxing champion who held the title for five years at the end of the 19th century. He once said, quote, fight one more round. When your feet are so tired that you have to shuffle back to the center of the ring, fight one more round. When your arms are so tired that you can hardly lift your hands to come on guard, fight one more round. When your nose is bleeding and your eyes are black and you're so tired that you wish your opponent would crack you on the jaw and put you to sleep, fight one more round. Remembering that the man who fights one more round is never whipped. End of quote. In other words, never give up. Never give in. Never quit. We're too near the crown to lay down our cross. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul said it to another church, be steadfast, unmovable. That's how you're always abounding. 
We have God's promise that the harvest is coming. Therefore, we cannot allow ourselves to get tired of doing good, of following the process, of being biblical in our parenting, of seeking purity, not just in body with our young people, but purity in heart, soul, mind, emotion, and will. You might say, it's easy to say, I won't quit. But how do you keep going when you feel long past the time of giving up? Let me say two things then I think will help. Number one is pray. I mean seriously pray. Luke 18, 1, Jesus spoke a parable unto his disciples to this end. Men ought to always pray and not to faint. Basically the Lord was telling his disciples to always pray or you will lose heart. The only way to not lose heart is to stay in prayer. What does that mean? It means experience God. Stay engaged in experiencing Him. Christ's walk journal tomorrow should be a fresh encounter with God. The second thing in this matter of getting beyond just saying I won't quit and when my my, my will is weakening and I'm, I have no strength. Not only should I stay engaged in experiencing God, number one, pray. Number two, wait. Isaiah 40, verse 28 through 31. He talks about that matter of waiting. And there he describes this matter of giving my no strength to him in exchange for his strength. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I hope tonight that parents, you can take heart in this wonderful promise. If you find fatigue and weariness setting in, here's a promise to the weary parent. Don't give up. Don't quit. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Keep doing Good. Keep doing right. Embrace the process for in due season. It may not be tonight. It may not be this week. It may not be this year. But if you have embraced the prom, the process that you will trust God and obey in every area, not cut corners with God in due season, there's a harvest coming. God's calendar, He's got it marked. Harvest is coming. Don't quit. Don't quit. Or you're not going to see what God has in store. Let's stand together, please.